Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim. If you're taking notes, the title of this message today is called Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. We've been in a series titled Redeeming Your Time, Taking Back Your Sabbath. And I know for some of you, this series isn't what you thought it was going to be. Some of you are waiting for that 10 steps to a better you, 10 steps to a cleaner calendar, 5 steps for greater performance, whatever that is. I'm not a motivational speaker. What I'm going to tell you is what the Word of God tells you and let you find rest in the Word of God. We redeem our time as we trust the Word of God over our life. Amen? And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking. We started first with we redeem our time when we remember. If you'll, if you'll recall the very first lesson, we talked about the command in Exodus 20 verse 8, which, is to, which says... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we redeem our time as we remember who God is. That He's always been faithful. That He's never forgotten us. That He has always offered provision. That that His people don't lack for their need. That He is very, very faithful. But not just that He's faithful, but that He's eternally faithful. That He was faithful a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago from the foundations of the earth. He's faithful into eternity and He's faithful right now. He is faithful to you. And because He's faithful to us, it should bring us rest. Because we know the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God not only is here, but He is for us. He is for you. That should bring you rest. That should bring you a comfort like no other comfort in the world, that the all-powerful, almighty God, bigger and badder, tougher, stronger, more dominant, transcendent over every problem that you have, sees you, loves you, knows you, wants to take care of you, knows every hair on the top of your head, knows your name, has it carved in the palm of His hand, according to the Word of God, thinks of you as often as the sands of the seashore. This is the same God that put every star exactly where it's supposed to be in the universe, knows all of them, and gave each of them a name. He gave you a name, and He's faithful to you. This should bring us peace. This should bring us uh, rest. And then we started talking. The second one was, the second teaching that we did was that we are to keep the Sabbath holy, which means set apart. We are a set apart people. God set us apart to Himself. He gave us His righteousness so that we could belong to Him. And if we know that He's faithful and that we belong to Him, we know that He belong, we belong to Him, He takes care of us, that He watches over us. All of these things, He is the strong tower. He has not forgotten you. I want to scream from the mountaintops to so many people that struggle, that don't find the rest that they should have. Jesus Christ died so that you might have rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He sees you where you are. 
Don't worry about the sickness that you think you're dealing with. Don't worry about the relationships that you think you're dealing with. Don't worry about the chains or the shackles you think you're bound by. Jesus Christ is bigger than all of those things. It is capable of taking all of those things from you. Amen? We serve a big God. And if we realize that our God is bigger than our problem or our circumstance or our situation, we will find exactly what we've been talking about. And that is rest. That is the rest that we need so desperately. But the command is simple. The command is very simply, but remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So, so why aren't we finding rest? Because if, if it's easy to do the simple things, and the commandment is simple, why is that not simple? It's not simple because we had all our junk to it. We had all our traditions to it. We had all of our rules to it. You guys know what I'm talking about. You ever walk in a church so mired in tradition, you can't worship the Lord? Because they're more worried about their, your fingerprint on their glass and brass than they are about you actually being in the presence of God. Let me tell you, God didn't design the church to look like that. God didn't design you to worry about whether or not you have the right clothes on. God designed you to pursue Him in the context of the church, to find fellowship in the context of the church to love one another, to pray for one another, to lift one another up, to encourage one another. This is what the church is supposed to look like. It's not a physical thing. It's not something you do. It's something that you are. It's time that the church tear down the golden calves in our life. And that's comfortable. It's, it's comfortable for some of us. It's horribly uncomfortable for the rest of us. Because I like coming to church. And I like showing up at 11 o'clock. And I like being out by 11.59. And if, you don't keep, if you're going to keep me here past 11.59, I promise you I'm not going to go anywhere because I'm not irreverent. But I am not listening to anything else you have to say. Y'all laugh because you know it's true. If you're not that way, you know somebody like that. you got 27 minutes after worship to get everything you, God needs me to know out of your mouth and into my ears. And if you don't, shame on you. It's your fault. It's not mine. Don't make no sense, does it? My whole point is it's hard to do because we add our stuff to it. But you know what? We're not the first person to add our stuff to it. Jesus knew that the audience he talked to, that he was talking to, which was the Jewish population, had been mired down with tradition. It's the reason why at 28 through 30, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They were specifically weary and heavy laden because so much was expected of them during the Sabbath that it wasn't a rest anymore. It was a burden. It was a heavy yoke. There were pages and pages and pages of things that you were supposed to do on the Sabbath instead of just remember and keep it holy. Or you weren't a good practicing Jew. Some of these things, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, you couldn't walk more than 3,000 feet. Even now, a, a traditionally practicing Jew 
can't walk more than 3,000 feet out of his own house without it being considered work. Unless he tied a rope to a second building. And then he could walk to that building and 3,000 feet beyond that building because by tying a rope to it, it became part of the original structure. Unless he tied a rope from the second building to a third building. Then he could walk 3,000 feet to that building and 3,000 feet beyond that. I didn't say your traditions have to make sense. In fact, most traditions don't make sense. But they became a burden for us. They become burdens for us. The Jews couldn't spit on the ground. Or if they did, they could spit on the ground, but they couldn't spit on the dirt. If you're going to spit, you have to spit on a rock because to spit on a rock creates no furrow in the ground. To spit in the dirt creates a furrow, which means you've dug a furrow on your day that you're not supposed to be working. You could pick up a chair and move it across the room, but you could not drag it because you dig a ditch in the dirt. And that's work. A tailor wasn't allowed to carry a needle for fear that he might be provoked to stitch a hole closed. These are the kind of rules that don't make sense, but that we add to our tradition or to our, to our Sabbath. They become traditions that become like the law to us. Jesus didn't come to fulfill the tradition. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to be the rest for us. He is the Sabbath rest for us. Amen? There's on and on and on examples of this. You couldn't carry more than a weight of a fig, but you could carry half the weight of a fig as many times as you wanted to. Go figure that out. Now what I want you to do is keep all of these pages of information perfectly on the day you're supposed to be resting and realize how big a burden that must have been. Their Sabbath ended up being the hardest work they did all week. And it shouldn't be that way. Because our Sabbath should be remembered and kept holy with Jesus at the center of it. Amen? So I want to talk to you about that today, how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew eleven twenty eight through twelve fourteen. I'm going to read the whole of it. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I feel, I feel provoked to tell you this. I read out of my Bible because I want you guys to see me reading out of my Bible. I don't know, I don't know, just so you know. Y'all should see your pastor open up his Bible and read out of his Bible. Just as your relatives should see you open your Bible and read out of your Bible. Just as your kids should see you open up your Bible and read out of your Bible. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. 
But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those with them, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion. Everybody say desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. I don't think anything in the scriptures by accident. He went into their synagogue, a place that they had set aside to themselves. He went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that, he might, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. Verse 14, this breaks me. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Today I want to talk to you about the Lord of the Sabbath and how to find the rest that's only available in him. To find true rest, this text starts with the only way to find true rest. Come to me. Come to me. Pastor Jim, you're talking about rest. You're about to give me the gospel message. Yeah. I am. You know why? Because outside of the gospel message, there's no rest. Outside of salvation, there's no rest for you or your soul. He says, come to me. Both come and believe have the same or parallel ideas in the scripture. John 6.35 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. He's the provision for your life. He's what's going to keep you. He's going to ensure that your needs are met. He is the sustainment over your life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will not thirst John 3 14 through 15 says as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life I want to say something as clearly as I know how and I may have already said it I probably have I, I get lost in my head and I end up repeating myself, but it's necessary, I feel like. There's only one rest. And that rest is Jesus. As we come to Jesus. You can tack your traditions to it if you want to. You can say, yes, Jesus and this. But anything that says and anything outside of Jesus 
is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Jesus. How do I come to Jesus, Pastor Jim? I'm going to read you some verses. I'm going to give you a kind of a step-by-step how to come to Jesus thing, how, how God draws us to himself. But I'm going to read some very specific verses to you. And there's going to be several of them. So I, don't, I want you to pay attention. Don't check out because I stopped talking to you because I started reading to you. Because the reason I'm reading to you is because the word of God is more important than anything else I could say to you. Amen. Sometimes I have to sit back and be quiet long enough for you to absorb the truth of the word of God. So how do I come to Jesus? First, he calls me to himself. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on that last day. God calls us by the power of his Holy Spirit to himself. We must hear Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? They have to hear. We have to hear that calling. We have to hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing according to Romans. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith. You want faith to know that Jesus loves you? Listen to the word of God. You want to know and have faith that God takes care of you? Listen and hear the word of God. You want to know that in Christ Jesus alone there's peace and rest and hope and comfort and security? Build that faith by hearing the word of God. There's something about hearing it that sets it into our spirit. But be cautious. Because faith in anything comes by hearing. People are all, I believe this. We live in a world that says, I believe whatever this is. Because they've heard that lie long enough to believe in faith that that's true. Muslims are going to hell if they don't come to Jesus Christ. It's the truth of the word of God. But they have faith that Islam is the only way to not go to hell. But it doesn't make it the truth. It just means that they've allowed themselves to listen to untruth too long. Till they've built their faith in it. What are you building your faith in? Are you building your faith in Jesus Christ? The fact that when we come to Him, He holds us, He sees us, He takes care of us, He saves us, because that's the only way to an eternal state with Him. So we hear, and then we mourn. Oh, wait a minute, what? Church has to get back to a place where it mourns its sin. Romans, correction, James 4, 9 and 10 says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. When was the last time you mourned over your sin? I mean, truly mourned over your sin. Cried out 
that you've concentrated, that you've focused on your sin long enough to realize that your sin has broken the heart of a holy God. Because it does. We want to say, Jesus came to save us. Jesus came because we are sinful. Because this congregational we makes me feel better about me because I am allowed to maintain a level of anonymity in the crowd. But if you'll take that out of your mouth and say, Jesus came, take away my sin. He came to take away your sin. He nailed himself to a cross, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for your sin. Before that, he allowed himself to be beaten for beyond recognition for your sin. Before that, humiliated and blasphemed for your sin. Before that, imprisoned by filthy hands for your sin. Oh, Pastor Jim, I get it. I don't think you do. Not yet. Bled through the pores of his skin, crying out to God for your sin. Walked a perfect life in the filth of the world for your sin. Childbirth in of itself is a beautiful thing to us. But to a holy being, a God that has never touched dirt or filth, he was born into this world in the filth of humanity for your sin. He exited the throne room of grace for your sin. I've stepped that all the way back on purpose because he did it for you. Now I want you to take that and I want you to overlay the thing that you've not brought to him. I want you to overlay your particular sin and ask yourself if he did all that so that I could be with him forever, so that I might hold his righteousness, not my own, because I have no righteousness of my own according to Romans chapter 3, then shouldn't that break my heart? Our sin should break our heart. Even if we're saved, we're still sinning. You know how I know we don't mourn like we should? Because everybody in this room isn't on their face right now in the presence of God with wet faces. Because a holy God died for your sin. That should cause us to mourn. I'm not trying to be over dramatic. I'm just telling you the word of God. Pastor Jim, you're not bringing me much peace. You're not bringing me much rest or comfort. The fact that he did it for your sin should bring you comfort. The fact that he did it for your sin should bring you rest and peace. And then finally, how do I come to Jesus? I repent having mourned my sin which means truly acknowledge my sin I repent of my sin we have to be people of repentance and I'm not talking listen to me 
Let me get a little bit louder to pull you out of your state of open mouth staring at me. I'm not talking about some flippant, hey, God, I'm sorry about that. I should have done that. I know your word says that if I'm faithful to ask, you'll forgive me. And then moving on about your business. I'm talking about truly repenting, understanding the weight of your sin and what it does to break the heart of a holy God who extended you grace when you didn't deserve grace, who decided to be beaten, nailed to a cross, live in this world for no other reason than He wanted to spend time with you. You should repent and stay and live in a place of repentance because you constantly live in a state of sinfulness. A person that can't mourn his sin, a person that can't confess his sin and repent of his sin has never understood grace. I'm convinced of it. The church has gone so far away from what it means to live in holiness that it no longer understands that holiness requires repentance, which means that we should be in a constant state of, Lord, God, I am so sorry for what I did. I turned my back away from that. I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give me the strength to stay walked away from that. But God, I believe that by the power of that same Holy Spirit, if I trip and fall again, you have the strength to pick me back up, to dust me off, to set me back on that path and make me right. That's what it is to crawl out, cry out to God in repentance and expectation because He will. That is so good. And let me tell you, if that doesn't help you redeem your time, if that doesn't help you find rest, there's no rest that can be had. Because all of that should bring you peace. According to Philippians chapter 4, peace beyond comprehension. It says the grace of God will give you peace, or the peace of God beyond comprehension will guard the heart, your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You know what you find in a state of peace? Rest. Because you're in Christ Jesus, let me walk this verse backwards. Because I'm in Christ Jesus, my heart and my mind are guarded by the peace of God. Guarded is a military term. It means to run garrison. It means to literally, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit stands guard on the pillars of your heart to ensure those things that would disrupt your peace won't disrupt your peace and that you'll live in peace that's beyond comprehension because you belong to Jesus. That's where you find your rest. That's what happens when you truly come to Him. Am I making sense to anybody? Beyond comprehension. There's a there's a place that I find peace. There's actually there's a place that Angela finds peace. I could, I could technically care less, but it's called the beach, Panama City. I go there because she's there. And I'll tell you, now she gets up before I do. She goes out to the beach. She watches the sun rise. She wants to be out there when the sun sets. That's her place of peace. That's, that's, that's just where she finds peace. If I had the time, and I don't, but I would ask that you go do this. I would ask you to go home, close your eyes, lay in the grass, do whatever it is you do, get as comfortable as you can. Close your eyes for 10 minutes and imagine the most peaceful environment you could, you've ever been in or could ever find yourself in. And just meditate on how peaceful that is. 
You know why I want you to do that? Because that's peace according to your comprehension. Whatever you find after 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, isn't anything compared to the peace that God promises those who are in Christ Jesus. And you can find rest in that. How many of y'all can stand some rest like that? I'm tired so many of us are tired we've allowed the world to weigh us down we've allowed the world to take from us or add to us those things that God never intended to be taken away or added to us and so I tell you I challenge you release yourself to Jesus come to him recognize that he is your strength in your time of need 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You're struggling? Jesus is enough. You need something? Jesus is enough. <clears throat> Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Because it's only in Christ Jesus that we're saved. Acts 4.12 says it as well as I can, and there is a salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven that has been given among men which, which we must be saved. That name, and only in that name, Jesus Christ is their rest. So we find true rest as we come to him. Secondly, we come and find true rest as we learn from him. The next verse, 29, says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me that I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a call to discipleship. This is a call to act like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, humble and gentle, submissive. You know, it says his yoke is light. It doesn't say his yoke is non-existent. You still have to submit to the yoke even though the yoke is lighter. And the best way to submit to the yoke is to act like Jesus acts, which is to be gentle and humble. I dare you, challenge you to find any place in Scripture where Jesus wasn't gentle and humble. And I know some of you are thinking, well, he flipped tables in the, in the temple. Let me tell you, that was a prime example of his humility because in his humility he had a fear for the Lord. And in his fear for the Lord he defended the holiness of God in the temple. And he did that out of gentleness because they were taking advantage of God's people and he loved them enough to make them want to stop. He is gentle and humble. Everywhere he went, he touched the leper when nobody else wanted to touch the leper. He saved the adulteress when everyone else wanted to kill her and persecute her. He reached out to the man with the crippled hand. He went to the demoniac that everybody else cast out of town and broke him free of his chains, both physically and spiritually. And then you know what he did? This, this has always blown my mind. Then the demoniac tried to get in a boat with him. He said, I want to go with you. Jesus said, no. You're like, well, that's not very gentle or nice. Do you know what was gentle and humble? He said, no. Go to Decapolis. 
which means go to the ten cities and tell them about the God that set you free. And that's hope for you no matter where you've been in your life. You've been chained to a wall. You've been separated. You're bound by something. Jesus can set you free because he's gentle and humble. Not only set you free, but give you a ministry. Give you a purpose. This demoniac is my, is the testimony by which I live my life. I think I was so bad, so horrible, until I read this story. And I thought, God did that for that guy? He could do that for me. He can do that for you. And you know what happened? The peace of God beyond all comprehension began to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So we have to act for correction. We have to learn from Him. If we're going to be His, we've got to act like we're His. Which is the final thing I would tell you. We find true rest when we do His work. I know I've told you we were going to go all the way through verse 14, and so far I've only covered three verses. But the other 14 are examples of what He's saying in three. He says, you want to find true rest? You've got to do what I do. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus met the needs of those around Him. He wasn't worried about the Sabbath. Because Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So they went around picking the little grains. Who cares? That's not work. That's meeting the need of the people around you. Meet the need of the people around you, and you'll find rest. Then he says, I would prefer compassion over sacrifice. So he tells you, be compassionate. Be so moved by the needs of others that you must do something about it don't let it just hang out there meet them where they are recognize that there's needs beyond your own 10 foot circle and allow yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit to be moved to the point that you have to be the one to solve that problem for them and then finally as he told this cripple he said extend out your hand he showed mercy He met the need by being moved by compassion and extended mercy. If we can do these things, we'll have the rest that we're supposed to have. How is that possible, Pastor Jim? You're telling me to do stuff to find rest. I don't know how it happens. I just know the truth of the Word of God. You know what I do know? That if I trust God with the six. He can do more with the six than I can do in the seven, just like he can do more with my 90% than I can do my 100% in my tithing. So I trust. I trust that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now you have a decision to make. Verse 14 is your decision. Are you going to accept the rest that Jesus Christ promises us? Or are you going to find a way to destroy that truth? If you're going to decide to do something about that and search that rest, 
going all the way back to the beginning. You have to come to him. 